Hello and welcome to the Make Marketing Great podcast. I'm your host, Elaine Mack, and on today's episode, we are joined by Morty Oberstein, who is the head of SEO and branding at Wixt, whilst also being the host of the official SEO Rant podcast. He's an absolute legend in the world of SEO, in my opinion, and I'm so happy to have him on today. Hi, Morty. Hey. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I understand that you're in Israel at this time. I am. Thanks for having me, by the way. I really appreciate it. No, not a problem. Um, so one of the things that uh, listeners or viewers of the podcast might not know is how we first started chatting, which was on Twitter, as I replied to one of your infamous uh, Twitter threads, which was related to one of your podcasts, which was ranking number one, apparently, for <laughs> when users search for the worst SEO podcast on Google. Um, just to clear that out of the way. Um, how exactly did that happen? Obviously, you can play around with meta descriptions or stuff like that. But as the head of SEO at uh, Wix, give us a bit of uh, was it intentional or no, 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 no. That's that success was unintentional. Um, actually, I just put out a post on the Wix SEO learning about Wix ranking podcasts because it's a um, it's a mess. You know, there's areas of SEO where we look at Google like, wow, machine learning, AI, it's so advanced, and there, there's still these gaps. And podcasts as a whole are one of these gaps. So for example, if you were type on a best SEO podcast, there's an episode carousel. Usually they've kind of played with it or taken it in and out um, over the last couple of months or so. But if you get yeah. it, it'll have a, a podcast called like the best SEO podcast because it has the word best in it. So that's how simple we're going with the algorithm. So what happened here was I have an episode where I was talking to Diana Richardson from um, SEMrush. Yeah. Pardon me, I'm still, I'm still working off a of cold. and. Um, Forget, what were we talking about? We're talking about we're talking about using SEO data the wrong way. So I think I wrote in the the top description on the episode page something around SEO data being either your best friend or your worst friend, or, or some kind of language with the word worst in it. And what iTunes did was they pulled in the episode from the RSS feed. They actually I actually used that top description from the episode page as part of the episode description. For the RSS feed. Yeah, yeah. Google looked at the Apple podcast, ranked it, saw that they had the word worst in it, and it rewrote the meta description to be like the SEO ramp podcast is like the worst podcast. And then it ranked it yeah. for, for uh, worst SEO podcast because it literally had the word worst in it somewhere. Okay. All right. Amazing. That sounds interesting. So it, uh, obviously that sounds like it was a little, just a tiny bit intentional, wasn't it? No, just no, no. I, I literally <laughs> used the word worse just completely naturally. And Google just took the word worse, podcast and SEO. And that was their ranking algorithm in that case. And I saw another one where I actually got replaced by uh, Olga Zar's podcast because she did the same thing. In one of the episode descriptions, she has the word worse. Yeah. And it pulls it in for the worst SEO podcast. So be careful with ranking podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. According to Search Engine Journal, they highlight you as a serial SEO uh, host in, in your podcast as well, which I think is also quite hilarious. But um, you definitely have a unique uh, reach uh, when it comes to your, um, your Twitter profile and obviously just your profile in general. One of the things that um, is actually quite hard to come by in some of the research that I've done with you is that um, how exactly you got into to SEO. I know that you've played around with different industries whilst uh, you know getting into your career, but for those that haven't heard of you 
or you know may know you but don't know in great detail as to how you got into SEO, would you be able to tell me exactly how you got into this uh, field in marketing? Yeah, so it's about 10 years ago, nine years ago. Um, I come from multiple backgrounds, but I have an education background and a very, very strong content creation background. And I was writing for an educational software company. And at one point they came to me and said, hey, could you write web content for us? I'm like, yes, I can write literally anything. And their goal was to get organic traffic. I'm like, great, organic traffic, that's awesome. What's that? And that was basically the start of the, uh, the journey into SEO. I think I, the first thing I found was it's all, uh, you know, like most people, it's all self-taught. It was, I think, Search Engine Land's periodic table of SEO. I think, I don't know if they still have it or not. They used to really push it heavily. I don't think they do as much anymore. And that's how I started getting into SEO, just by trial and error, trying different things, reading about it. And I kind of got hooked on it. Just found the whole algorithm thing interesting. I found the whole ecosystem interesting. And one thing led to another. And here I am. I mean, I started working for Rank Ranger. They're an SEO uh, rank tracking platform on the content side for them. So managing their blog and trying to improve the reach of that blog organically. And one thing led to another. Here I am now. It's this weird little journey. Oh, okay. Sounds interesting. And coming up to obviously the SEO Rounds podcast, explain some of the, you know, your journey into getting into the realms okay. of like podcasts as obviously this is a, you know, a growing and developing field as well. So back when I was at Rank Ranger, I'm going to say this was 2018 when we launched to be launched the um, In Search SEO podcast. There were yeah. very, very few SEO podcasts out there. There was basically Edge of the Web and that was basically it at the time. And Semrush had a podcast. Yeah. Um, but I think that didn't last too long. I don't no, think- it didn't last a long time. And, you know, I, ironically, I built the In Search SEO podcast off the SEMrush podcast because at the time I found that that podcast was a little, little bit linear. And I love SEMrush. Like I'm not, I, I, I've worked for them and I consult for them. I just didn't enjoy that podcast so much. Not to say that people didn't. There's, I find with podcast audience, there's generally people who want something very low-key, direct, and digestible. And then people want something a little more entertaining. And there's two different camps and the two different audiences. And it's hard to get both those audiences. So I kind of lean into one and let's forget about the other one, which you may say is a good idea or a bad idea. I'm all, I'm all about targeting audiences. So I kind of like that idea. So what I did was I created a podcast a little bit more dynamic than the typical SEO podcast at the time. And that's how I got into podcasting. It did really well. And after that, I think I, I, w I left rank ranger i was at wix my first stint at wix and i wanted to keep podcasting but we weren't doing a podcast at the time at wix now we do have one called the serps up podcast but at the time there was none i kind of really enjoyed i like to talk for better or for worse i would probably regard you as one of the fastest within this field as well i think as other people on your podcast have referenced that as well including your introductions York. it's, a disease. it's yeah. a disease um so i wanted to keep doing it I wanted to try something a little bit different where you generally have these interview podcasts are generally well-structured where the questions are kind of set up in advance or the general topic that you've kind of, but not just a general topic, you really hear the talking points for the podcast. And I do like that format. I think it works really well. If you can do it well, it's a nice balance. I um, yeah. do that a little bit with like the Serps Up podcast, but I wanted to try something a little bit different where the guest kind of takes the mic wherever they want to go. Like I, there's a general topic. I'll introduce the guest, I'll introduce the topic, and then you, the guest, go. And I've had people go for like two minutes, and then we come and we have a discussion. I've had people go for 10 minutes without me talking, where they're just going off on a rant, 
mm-hmm. they're upset about something. And that's awesome. And then I'll come in afterwards. So it's kind of like really unformatted. You referenced like content creation as being one of like, you know, like one of the biggest traits in terms of like some of the, uh, some of the things that you do with regards to your own podcast. What other traits do you think would be quite key within, you know, creating, you know, quality content, whether it comes to uh, blog uh, content creation or particularly your podcast in general? I think it all comes down to fundamentally. It, it's hard. I was thinking about this morning. You hear like content marketing tips, you know, I, you know, five content marketing tips or five content generation tips. And I was trying to think like, what's my mindset when I'm writing? Like, what am I, like, what's going on emotionally for me that lets me create the content the way that I want to create the content? I think one of the ways or one of the things that I'm feeling is almost an anxiety about, I need to make sure that the content is cohesive, well-structured and substantial. It's almost like an emotional desire to have that set up. And it means that like, it needs to flow right. It needs to be connected. I don't like, for example, when I'm writing a piece of content, then one paragraph doesn't flow into the next paragraph or one section doesn't flow into the next section. And I think it's all of these little things that you're trying to do to balance structure and creativity at the same time that let you create something that if you're in tune with being substantial, meaning you want to have a little bit of a different take on it, be a little bit unique. Um, but just to give you like an example of what I'm talking about. So I'm thinking that I just published it yesterday is why it's on my mind. This post about podcast SEO. There are things in there that I wonder that if I were um, very much concerned about making sure that I look professional as possible, I would have left out. Okay. Right. I talk about um, throwing the word best like we talked about a second ago into the podcast title. Like if I wanted to come off as and an SEO almost like elitist, I wouldn't have brought up that point. So it's almost like balancing the ability to be substantial, to be creative, to be well-formatted and well-structured while letting it flow at the same time and giving a little bit of a twist, like a little bit of your own take and don't hold back on that, even though you might be a little bit anxiety ready to share that tip. Okay. Going back to your experience, because obviously you've worked with some formidable companies within the SEO space. You referenced the fact that obviously that you worked for SimRush, our beloved SimRush. And obviously now that you're um, at Wix, which to be honest with you, it plays a, a key role in the CMS world today. Would you say that obviously that experience and obviously um, the previous company that you referenced as well was, you know, did you learn a great deal? Did that also expand on your motivation for taking SEO forward? Or did you find that purely, you know, as you were just investigating, you know, person into the world of SEO, did you find that, you you know, you had a, a, you know, like a love or a passion for it? So I think it's a couple of things. One, uh, both is the short answer. I think working at these different SEO companies and understanding the role of SEO, what SEO can do, and how that's meaningful for a much wider populace. Because I think one of the issues in SEO is that we talk about SEO to other SEOs. Mm. But really, SEO is applicable to everybody. And you've seen Google kind of do this as sort of this push for democratization of SEO. Yes, um, because yes, they, they, yeah. need, they, they need to. They need the content. There's a content gap. There's a content shortage. And it's about to get way worse with ChatGPT. So Google needs to incentivize, let's say, the experts on a particular topic, which might be a business owner, to write and to be able to rank and bring in traffic. So understanding that SEO, I think that's a combination of working at Wix and having been in the SEO world. So taking the two, those two and sort of uniting that, what does that mean? 
It means a healthier web where SEO is applicable to everybody. So it, it's definitely the, the, the companies I've worked for have definitely shaped me. I think just from an SEO point of view, I love content. I'm a content junkie. I, I, I think content is one of the most interesting things. I think it represents us as brands, as people with the content that you put out, whether it's social media, whether it's talking to another person, really represent who you are. So I think that's really interesting because it gets into identity. And then yeah. now you have an ecosystem such as Google trying to manage this beast of content, which is the, the showing of identity, which we get totally wrong as a, as, a, as a rule because we're generally not authentic to those identities. I think we try to create false identities or we try to shortcut ecosystems. So instead of it, there's two things. I'm going too fast. One is... Either we don't let our real identity come out and we try to hide it, which I think is a bad or a mistake from a marketing and a content creation perspective, or we ignore identity altogether, which I think is the majority of the time. And what we do is we try to manipulate uh, manipulate ecosystems. So we're okay. more worried about the ecosystem and less worried about us and the relationship to our audience, which is to sum it up is basically Google when the Google tells you, talk to your audience right naturally. Like that's what they're talking about, I think. I love that. And I love seeing how the development of content, content consumption, and how this massive ecosystem, which is Google, is handling very quickly changing patterns in what people want out of content, in what people expect out of content, and what they and how they consume content, while at the same time trying to shape or redirect where content creation on the web is going. Because I don't think Google's happy with where it is going. They've been unhappy for a long time. And I know people are talking about like Chad GPT raising the red alarm at Google. I don't think that's what's raising the red alarm at Google from that perspective. I think what's raising the red alarm at Google is that the, the, the level of content creation is steadily declining over time, which I thought would be impossible. It's almost like COVID. I never knew humanity. I, I always thought humanity was nah, not the smartest. Then COVID came along and it showed me humanity is well dumber than I thought it was. It's the same thing. I never thought content could get worse than it is, but you see it declining. And it, I think that's the red alarm to Google. I've said a lot there. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That's, that's quite interesting. Um, <clears throat> just, to, just that I can understand it a little bit better. Do you feel as if it's because it's like too saturated? Do you think? Yeah, I think, I think the same thing, to be quite yeah. honest with you. I think that maybe perhaps like it's for good or for 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 worse it's I think that the in terms of content creation like blogs and just relevant content which Google is trying to rank for the it's quite saturated and I think there needs to be better mechanisms to try and develop qualitative means to try and rank topics posts you name it you know what I mean and yep. I don't really know exactly how it's going to be uh how it's going to be done but now that we've referenced uh, chat GPT, one of the things, obviously, if, if users are referring to, you know, mainstream media, social media, for example, the hashtag chat GPT is rampant at the start of this year. Obviously, <clears throat> within my previous podcast, I'd ask Craig Campbell on his thoughts about it, but I want to ask you the same thing. What do you think of the state of the existing artificial intelligence when it comes to content creation? And what do you think uh, is going to be the future of not necessarily chat GPT, but these AI models that are helping us as SEO specialists or content creators or just any businesses that are hopefully trying to take advantage of it? Did you say you had Craig Campbell on talking about yeah. that? 
So yeah. I would imagine knowing Craig a little bit that our opinion on this is probably going to be very, very different. Um, I think it's a tremendous opportunity, but also yeah. a tremendous problem. It's I, I've been comparing it to money. Right? You don't want money to be too cheap. You don't want money to be too expensive. You want money to be just right. You don't want it to be too cheap, in which case you have hyperinflation. The money is worthless. You don't want it to be too expensive because then you can't get it. And you can't really do anything with it, right? Yeah. Um, it's the same with content. You want content creation to be accessible, but you don't want it to basically be, you know, diarrhea, for lack of a better way of describing it. Um, because obviously the, the content quality therefore goes down. And I think what ChatGPT does is that it makes people feel like content is cheap. And I can just create whatever. I, I don't need to worry about resource. I don't need to worry about quality. I can just spin up content. And you see websites like Bankrate or CNET who are writing what, what looks like long-form content with, with AI writers, which, again, they're reviewing it with actual reviewers. I saw Glenn Gay posted yesterday a great post that um, turns out some of the content at CNET wasn't exactly accurate. So that highlights the problem. But even to say it was accurate. They're writing these posts, and they seem very long form, but what they're essentially doing is taking a question about loans and uh, refinancing, mortgage and refinancing, another question about loans and mortgages and refinancing, another question about mortgage loans, and getting chat GPT or whatever they're using to write a snippet of content, a paragraph, that they're taking all these snippets and taking what's generally a, a, an FAQ and converting it into a blog post. So it's not really a blog post. It's really a collection of FAQ questions that they've reformatted to be blog posts-like. That's not really long-form content. What people are going to do, though, is say, hey, look, that's 2,000 words. I can use ChatGPT to create 2,000 words now. Awesome. Great. We're done. And that's going to kill web content. And it's going to be a disaster. And I'm not even sure what's going to happen. I think there is a use case for ChatGPT. I think an FAQ is a great use case. If you have very general, very, the right word is not plain, but generic kind of questions. Chat GPT or other AI writers are scraping the web, re reformatting or reconjuring up what's already out there. Why not? And, you know, they, 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 you know uh, I don't know. Um, uh, when, do I, when do I need to change my tires to snow tires? That's probably been answered a million times over on the web. As a person, am I really going to be able to add any nuance or any new details to that? Really, probably not in a significant way. I'm sure you could. Yeah, yeah. So what's wrong with an AI writer writing that? Like, who cares? Obviously, though, if the technology changes and you don't need to change your tires for snow tires anymore, then the kind of becomes obsolete. So you need to be careful, even if it does work. So I think Chat GPT could be relevant for snippet content. Why not? I think I think with regards to Chat GPT, because <clears throat> for those listening and uh, those that are unaware of the AI system, it's not new, to be honest with you. I believe that ChatGPT is actually the third model, you know, yeah. as, as it comes out at this point in time. And actually, systems like, I believe, uh, Jarvis or Jasper or some of the other competitors, have the, these systems have been out for about, I think about two years, you know, publicly and, you know, from the likes of uh, marketeers uh, around the world have been utilizing this system. But would you say that in 2023, maybe some of the, you know, the biggest focus that Google is going to play on is content creation, you know, trying to moderate and find ways to try and 
find out if uh, businesses or you know websites are utilizing artificial intelligence because if you de- delve into the de- you know the, uh, the the devil in the detail as i mentioned with craig in the previous podcast if you look at adsense for example they're really highlighted in their guidelines that's under thin content that they're referencing auto generated content i believe that, I, i'm not sure if i'm you know uh, quoting it exactly but i think there are systems in play that are recognizing. It could be due to the fact that Google might see an absolute spike in content creation all of a sudden from a particular website, or it could be something as simple as what I'm thinking is, could it be the fact that um, there's just no typos in the whole of this, you know, web page or uh, this, this, you know, this particular website, which is coming from the UK is highlighted in, you know, US, you know, US English or something. Going just to try and simplify the question, do you think that Google is going to be highlighting content creation predominantly throughout its algorithm changes in 2023? Yeah, I think they already have. I think there's a great article. It's kind of what you're talking about by Roger Montin from Search Engine Journal about a possible patent that Google has or possible system that Google has to to find a written content. It's not nuts. You you do this all the time. You can take a, a piece of content, you can plug it into a tool, and it'll profile the content to tell you. This seems to be like it was written from by an AI writer. There's multiple tools that do this. And what that basically is, is an AI reversing on itself, right? It's AI saying, I know how to create, right? I know how to create content because I know what it is. I can now look at myself, so to speak, and tell you that this is what I would do if I were an AI writer, which I am. Uh, so I think they're already doing it. I think machine learning was, listen, machine learning was built to do that. Machine learning is built to profile language and profile language structures. And Google has been doing that for years at this point already. And I think one of the best examples of this, I was talking to Lily Ray about this when they came out, is in the product review updates. They have a whole thing about firsthand experience. And you see now, by the way, in the quality reader guidelines, Google's added an extra E to EAT for experience. And I think in this case, it might be a reverse where it's the algorithm can already kind of pick up on these things and they're adding it to the quality reader guidelines as opposed to they usually add to the quality reader guidelines and then try to eventually develop the technology to mimic that algorithmically. And it's not terribly complicated. It's incredibly complicated, but it's not terribly crazy to, to think that they can do this. So for example, in the product review updates, they say you have to have first-hand experience. Why would Google write that if they can't do that? And I'll give you a case where Google also added that you have to have or you should have more than one um, source to buy the product if you're doing a product review. Like you can't just stuff your affiliates in there all over the place. You need to have another seller in there. And Google just confirmed that that's happening, happening algorithmically, and it is a small ranking factor. So generally, my assumption is when Google says that they're adding something to their guidelines about an algorithm update, that they can do that. How are they tracking whether or not you actually used a product or not, other than spying on you with like your phone or something, which is also a possibility? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's language structure, I think. And I think I was talking to, I was talking to Lily Bowne and she thinks the same thing. If I'm using, say I'm reviewing a vacuum cleaner and I write on the page, the vacuum is great at um, sucking up dirt on floors or on, or on carpet. And then I have another piece of content that writes, great vacuum for carpet, but not when it's pet hair. There's, forget the level of detail, that's one thing. But the language structure is totally different. I've qualified my statement. In one case, I just made a blanket statement. 
In the other case, I qualified and modified the statement. If Google were to say profile sentence language modification, which you could absolutely do with machine learning, that would tell its algorithm that this page is predisposed to have been written by a person and not a machine or predisposed to having actual firsthand experience, which would have to be a person and not a machine. So it's not nuts. Yeah, yeah. Coming back to Search Engine Journal, again, another popular article was the ref- was reference to the fact that there's, I'm not sure if it's, um, if it's being confirmed, but we know that uh, Microsoft being the likes of, I think even Microsoft Word, for example, yeah. they're looking at trying to incorporate chat GPT or that AI model into it. I think the biggest question that I have or some of the specialists or marketers around the world is how is this going to look? Is this going to be a case where could we be looking at, um, you know, for reference, one of the things that I was thinking was obviously when you go to Google, if you have Google Chrome on, on your phone or or on your webpage, you'd see that there's different segments. You'd see that there's search images and stuff like that. Perhaps they might add a different segment just for AI. You know, some people just looking for just some quick information, regardless of the quality of it in that instance. But what do you think Bing is trying to integrate? How do you think it's going to look? Or potentially a bigger question is, what do you think the the future of search is uh, with regards to incorporating chat GPT? I think there's been a lot of talk and overemphasis, I think, personally around using ChatGPT in the search engine to answer a question. So mm-hmm. I'll go to Google, I'll type in um, how many home runs did Babe Ruth hit, and ChatGPT will tell me 714. I don't see that as being novel. You already have that. But you have direct answers. What's the difference in typing it in, waiting for the machine to process, and then spitting it back, or just typing in the query, Google show me a big answer up there. So I don't think that's where it's novel. I know search engines like you are doing that for like featured snippet content and they're sourcing, which is another issue. How do you, how do you source? So they're putting little footnotes and they source in their URLs there. I don't see that as novel. We already have that. We have feature snippets. We have direct answers. What's the difference? Whether it's Google scraping and pulling it out and putting it up there or ChatGPT scraping Putting, uh, reformatting it and putting it out. There's pretty much the same thing. What I think is really unique, and it speaks to what the what we like about ChatGPT is the interactiveness. So that I think is interesting. Where I can go to Google, um, where are some great places to eat pizza near me? Processes, Joe's Pizza is highly recommended because of X, Y, and Z. Sid's Pizza is highly recommended because of, you know, one, two, three. And then I could say, great, which of these offers uh, gluten-free options? Out of the two, only Joe's offers gluten-free options. So I can have a dynamic back and forth. That, I think, is really interesting. And that's where I think they're going to go with this. I don't think it's going to do with direct answers, per se. I think it's going to be something like Google's Lambda, where you can chat back and forth with it. It'll offer up results. There will be URLs. There'll be a URL to the, to the, to the website or the business listing, in this case. Yeah, I think yeah. tracking those URLs in a rank tracker is going to be impossible. So there goes that. But I don't think it's the end of organic. And I do think it has a lot of cool possibilities as a chat function. Absolutely. I think it's going to be potentially one of the biggest changes in the foreseeable years, considering the fact that obviously we know that Google um, makes predominantly quite a lot, of, a lot of its money from ad revenue from the likes of, of Google search. So it'd be quite interesting to see as to how that develops. But now, getting into your background at Wix, 
<clears throat> and obviously as uh, a, a Wix and Editor X uh, partner myself, um, I hope you don't mind me asking some questions with regards to the SEO on that front. But basically, uh, for users that don't know, uh, there was an article uh, by Search Engine Journal not too long ago in June 2022, which stated that Wix market share is in third place against Shopify and WordPress, which I think is fantastic, to be honest with you. Um, Wix seems to be growing exponentially around um, the world. And um, obviously, I can vouch for the f of its uh, usability. I wanted to get your view on the CMS market going forward. So I kind of look at CMS as when you say, say 3% of the market share, 10% of the market, whatever it is, as that, that's, you know, whatever percent of the, of the, of the <laughs> digital world. And to me, CMS adoption kind of resembles or corresponds to where the web is going. And I think where we've been on the web, like the web has been kind of an elite place for a long time. The, the barriers to entry have been difficult. You, not to say that you don't have small businesses on the web, but if, you know, go back 10 years ago, 15 years ago, getting there has been very, very hard. Or you need to hire somebody to do it for you. Or you need to hire a real expert or a slew of experts to do it for you. Not that you don't need an expert anymore. I'm not saying that at all. What the, the web is moving to is, again, like where everything is moving to, I think. And so we're talking about the same thing in search, where there's a democratization of the web, which is healthy for the state of the web. Whether you're a Wix fan, whether you're a WordPress fan, whether you're a Shopify fan, whether you're a Squarespace fan, whatever it is. And I think there's a place for all of these platforms on the web. I don't look at it like every website should be on Wix. I don't think that's healthy for the web. What I do think, though, is, is that there's a lot of resistance from the called the old guard of the web towards platforms that do democratize the web because that's not in their best interest. I don't want to put it that way. It's just not how they think about the web. But if you look at what is happening is that on the Google side, Google needs better content. Google needs more expert written content. Google needs web platforms to handle a lot of the things that let's say an SEO would do so that a business owner can decide, I don't want to spend money on SEO right now. I want to dip my toe in the water and I want to see what sticks. And if this sticks and it's an opportunity, I will invest more in it. So it needs a platform, which is why I think Google has been very much interested in communicating with us and in partnering with us. We've partnered on a bunch of things already from, um, and we have instant indexing on the homepage when you connect to Google Search Console through Wix. We have a direct connection. It's not, a, it's not an API. It's a partnership with Google Business Profile. Um, we're about to do a lot more with Search Console in the next couple of weeks or so. little teaser, I guess. And I think it's because Google realizes that web, um, web users, website owners, whatever you want to call them, need an incentive to create content. And the platforms that do what Wix does gives them that incentive. And what I like to think is, is that we are able, as a, as a platform, you tell me as a user, uh, uh, you know better than I would here. One of the things that makes SaaS difficult, and I think you see this now with say like a SEMrush, where it's a pro platform, but they, they realize that the web is becoming far more democratized. Like that's a great example, actually. If you look at SEMrush's marketing, let's say five years ago, and you look at it now, it's way more geared to SMBs. 
because I think that they realize like, wait a second, SEOs, digital marketers, content, like, you know, content marketers, a very small part of the world. There's a much broader section of the world that's now able to access the web because of what platforms like Wix are doing. We should target them. And almost all of their marketing now is catered towards SMEs, which is unbelievable to see. And then, but you end up in an interesting problem is that you, as a SaaS platform, Wix being my third SaaS platform that I've worked on, how do you create something that a pro can use? And how do you create something that somebody who's not a pro can use? And that's very, very difficult. And that's one of the things that we've been really focused on. So what we do, at least on the SEO side, and I think we try to do this across the platform in general, we'll give you an out-of-the-box solution, and then we'll let you customize it. So if you're not a pro, you have what you need. Could it be better or more tailored to what exactly you need? Yes. But does it serve what you need? Also, yes. So I'll give you an example of structured data markup. So we create structured data markup automatically on product pages, event pages. Um, you add your, your um, physical address to the homepage. We'll add local business markup to it automatically. This way, if I do, if I, I'm an SMB and I'm selling some products, I know nothing about structured data markup. It's there. You don't have to worry about it. And it also means now that you're automatically eligible for Google Merchant Center, for Google Shopping results. If you come in as an SEO, well, let's just run through the cycle. I'm a business owner. I see that, oh my gosh, I'm getting a bunch of traffic from Google, from Google Shopping because Wix added the structured data markup. What more can I do here? I would like to invest in this. And now you go to an SEO because you've already seen that it's worked. Now that SEO can do all sorts of things because all that structured data markup is completely customizable. So they can say, you know what you should do here? You should add an FAQ to the page and you should FAQ markup to the page. I'm going to go ahead and do that because we try to make the solution automated where we can, catch errors where we can, but also open one at the same time. So I think that's kind of makes Wix kind of cool from an SEO point of view. Okay. Um, I think one of the things that you said beautifully, which I didn't really think of too much, is the fact that you referenced the, like, Sim Rush's, like, approach to, like, the SMB market, uh, to be quite honest with you, which is quite interesting. Because obviously, Wix has brought the benefit that, you know, more users are more, you know, more able and capable than and to get themselves onto the web. So naturally, as they navigate the, their way through, they're going to come to the likes of search engine optimization and obviously reach out. So obviously there's a, there's a massive, there's an absolutely massive market for that. So that's, that's quite interesting. Which brings me to a big question. <clears throat> and believe it or not, uh, coming as a partner, I can vouch for this question because I've transitioned. Uh, I, I know that there'll be marketing agencies and there'll be people that will be critiquing this, but yes, I've moved people away from some of the big CMS brands. So for example, moving people from WordPress uh, over to Editor X and even Wix, for example, or even started up businesses, you know, they just wanted something small to see as to how it would progress. But obviously one of the biggest questions for those that have stuck with the likes of WordPress for a long time that when when trying to transition over to the likes of Editor X or even potentially Wix and they reference the fact of uh, how good is, you know, SEO for, you know, whilst using, whilst using Wix uh, platform, you know, there's, there's a lot of hesitation, especially, you know, with big plugins like Yoast, for example, with, with WordPress. What would you say directly to to those businesses that are a little bit, you know, on edge about utilizing Wix as a platform, and also, 
you know, it's, it's SEO capability. So I'll use a, uh, an SEO idiom here, old, not new. That take <laughs> yeah. is old, not new. And yeah. it comes from there being a reputation around Wix from a long time ago. Listen, Wix, well, Wix used to be built on Flash. We used to use hash bang URLs. I used to not love Wix SEO before I came to Wix. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase John Mueller here himself from Google saying, a lot of that reputation is old and outdated. And it comes from, again, it goes back to this, you know, I think it goes back to this. And John Mueller talked about, I'm going to keep quoting John, talked about some masses on the other day where people think there's a kind of like a, you know, fairy dust to WordPress. And it comes because there's sort of the, 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 the people who have had control over the web or have been driving the web, better way to put that, over the, the last 10, 15 years have been people who are building bespoke solutions, you know, via WordPress or whatever it is. And they'll put value, let's say, on things like accessing the server. Well, you can't access the server on Wix. It's a common one that I hear. Therefore, it's not good. So one is I don't like looking at those things literally or linearly, which I'll get to in a second. The immediate answer to that, and again, I'll quote John Mueller, is that nobody should be hosting, self-hosting on the web because you just screw things up and you lock yourself out of servers. That's not me saying, that's John saying no one should be. Yeah. Right? Um, which I'm not saying, I don't think he means it literally no <laughs> one. But I think as a general statement, like, that's not the best way to go at this point in time. That was great back then because you needed to do that. But now that you have platforms like Wix or Squarespace or Shopify who are handling these things well for you, why would you? Um, to go back to my first point, when you look at those things very linearly, oh, I can't access the server on, on Wix, but I can on WordPress. So customization is good. Therefore, Wix is not as good. That's a very linear way to look at something. The question really is, what's the opportunity cost? For this website, what's the opportunity cost of having access to the server, but not having what Wix offers you, or not being able to access the server, but having what Wix offers you? So let's play that out. I can access a server that does offer me some more flexibility if I know what the hell I'm doing. At the same time, when Amazon servers went down, it took half of the web down with it, and you could do nothing about it if that was a server you were using. Wix sites also used the Amazon CDN. However, we just moved all those sites onto another CDN. So when the web was down and not selling stuff, Wix sites were up and still selling stuff. When, when Taylor Swift brought down Ticketmaster, that would not have happened on a Wix server. So things around reliability, things like security are way more stable on Wix, which is a, an opportunity cost or a, or a trade-off, if you will, from not being able to access the server. So is accessing the server a good thing or a bad thing? Like everything else in SEO, it depends. It depends how you look at it, depends what your needs are, depends where you're at. In terms of like, if you want to talk about the SEO capabilities of Wix very strictly, there's really nothing you can't do on a Wix site that you can do on a WordPress site of any significance. And I know there will be specific situations where you might say, well, in this particular case, I want to do X and I can't do X on Wix. Let's say edit my sitemaps, which you could okay. theoretically customize a sitemap to the robot.txt file. It's a totally different thing. Um, okay. How, we optimize it automatically for you. We automatically send it over to Google for you. What's the real use case when would you not need that to be done? You can also use an uh, you know, HTML sitemap as well. So what's the real trade-off? That's what I mean. Like, yes, but what's the trade-off on the other side? Like we create data automatically for you. So for example, there are cases where Google updated the requirements for structured data markup to appear as a rich result. 
and we already had that in there. So if you're on WordPress, you would have to go in there to all of your pages and update the code. On Wix, you literally had to do nothing. And if, you, and if we did have to change it, I know who the person would be, he would go into the code, he would change it, and it would be updated. So you, again, would have to do nothing. So if you want me to boil it down to what I really think the USP is, the unique selling point for Wix and SEO, it's everything. It's security, it's reliability. You don't have to sacrifice that for SEO. I'd also say if you're working with clients, so how much of your time and budget, time, your budget and client budget is going to fixing things? Maintenance, uh, dealing with site being down, vulnerabilities, because you don't generally have that on Wix. So that means that all of your client budget can go to growth assets. So if let's say they're paying you five grand a month, 500 of that budget is going to maintenance on a WordPress site. That's $500 that can go to social media ads. That's $500 that can go to another blog post. So there's more potential for more focus on growth, which is what Google has been talking about, about Wix, that it lets you focus on content. It lets you focus on your business. It lets you focus on growing and less on the maintenance side. So there are unique selling points to Wix. You have to look at it not as WordPress has this, Wix has that. It's what is the ecosystem overall presenting to you? And what's the value of one ecosystem over the other ecosystem? And it depends. Okay. It's an interesting um, bit of information there, to be honest. Um, so there's, there's quite a lot that users could potentially utilize when it comes to utilizing um, good SEO when it comes to, to um, Wix uh, CMS. Um, but yeah, um, Obviously, I'm conscious of of time, and and I thank you for for coming on. But with regards to with regards to all the questions that I asked you today, and I know that we referenced content creation, AI, uh, the likes of uh, Wix CMS. Would for those marketeers or business professionals listening to today's podcast, what three bits of advice would you give to to those that are starting our 2023 and moving forward what would you what three bits of advice would you give to those that are progressing through this year with digital marketing i would say um like drugs use them responsibly okay. use chat gpt but responsibly i'm not advocating you should use drugs um but use chat gpt go for it i think it's very helpful I think you can use it in all sorts of ways from organizing keyword by intent to, you know, like I said, much integrates it this way. And I think it's what Google, um, what, uh, what Microsoft wants to do inside of Word, where it gives you suggestions to rewrite things. So there's a lot you can use AI writing for, but use it responsibly. So that's like number one, I guess, because we're all caught up in the whole hype around that. Two, I think, and I've been saying this for a while, but target the audience as much as possible. Target, 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 target. I think the age of, I'm going to cast a wide net out on the web. I think it's over. I'll write a blog post. I'm going to rank for a million keywords for this blog. It'll be the ultimate guide to everything and rank for all of the keywords, all of them. I think that age is over. I think Google wants more specific content because I think users want more targeted content because it means it's more trustworthy. Because I think we're in the age where the digital world is very much being looked at very skeptically by the mass amount of people out there. Yeah, I agree. So that's, so that's two. Right? Yeah. Uh, three. Huh. I don't know if I have a third one at the top of my head. Let me think. Hold on. Um, go to the SERP because the SERP is constantly changing. If you want to understand how you should be targeting from an SEO point of view, 
You need to look at what's happening on the SERP itself and how it's evolving. And I don't mean like, okay, Google ch- added a new feature. It's a whole big, they added chat GPT to the SERP. I mean, the okay. small little things that Google's changing, what do they mean? Why is Google doing that? Uh, I always equated to um, back in the day, like 2016, all of the changes on the SERP were about local. Not all of them, but the predominant, it was a heavy set of changes. Now I don't see as much on local. Now I see a ton of changes on the server on e-com. So just look at where, what Google's doing from a trends point of view, because I think that'll help you understand where the web is going overall as it, from a trend. And like, those okay. are my three. So obviously the one, the last thing that you to reference is just to focus a little bit more on the trends that Google is is coming out. And I think that's that that's great when looking at the algorithm updates. For me, I think it's uh, predominantly going to be a year of content. Um, again, I think the likes of hashtag chat GBT has really, you know, strung you know that that red bell which apparently is being rung at google i think for for the very first time to be honest it'll be interesting as to how things progress again uh Maudie, i want to thank you for for coming on um for users listening uh, a link will be uh provided in the podcast description for uh your podcast as well uh, follow to- link? i love follow links i know don't we all <laughs> um <clears throat> and um you, uh, information with regards to your bio as well. Uh, thanks for coming on. I know that users will have learned a lot today coming from your background from Wix, your experience uh, in SEO. And um, uh, yeah, uh, thanks again. My pleasure. Thank you. All right.